0: Thank you to all of you for your support of Grace Pastoral Training School. Just to give you a little brief introduction, I'm going to show you a video that was made regarding our school, but some of you may remember Idi Amin. Anybody remember that? He was a dictator, and it's called the Ugandan Holocaust. 350,000 Christians were martyred for Jesus. And uh, Idi Amin's goal was to wipe out every Christian. All you had to do when he came into the village was just renounce Christianity and uh, say the Muslim prayer, and you're free. 350,000 did not bend their knee to, to Muhammad. They stood. And people watched how Christians die. We always wondered, what would I do if somebody pointed a gun at me? You know, I'm thinking I'd be running the other way, and no. Oh. <laughs> And uh, we, we're, we're, we're terrified, but you never, ever have to be worried about that moment because you got and sought me at that moment. Just like Corey Ten Boom said, you remember the story about the ticket? She, she waited at the train station and said, Father, when, I, when, when will I get the ticket? And she said, When the train comes. And she went through uh, a concentration camp in Germany, and God was there when she needed him. Well, people watched how Christians died. And the a result, 80% of Uganda is Christian now. I mean, they almost wiped out. One of our students, Peter, was there, and they came to his village, and he was the pastor. And he and his wife had been fasting and praying for several days, and they broke into, the, into his home, and they were on their knees praying. And, they, and the soldiers shouted, what are you doing? And he said, stood up, and he said, I'm praying for Uganda, and I'm praying for you. And it was like the Holy Spirit just hit those soldiers, and they just stood there. And and they said, whatever you do, don't leave this house for the next couple days. Went outside, fired the gun. I imagine they were the first ones to to kill. But they heard gunfire for the next couple days. And when it died down, they left and and went out the house. And every Christian in that village was was gone. So we've got 80% of Uganda now that's Christian as a result. It's called the Ugandan Revival. It's amazing. But Uganda, you know, it was just one of the poorest countries. EDM just emptied out the banks and bankrupted the, the nation, and they have no schools. When I heard that 80% of the pastors in Uganda have no biblical training, God's calling them to the ministry, but there's no Bible school that they can afford. So we offered. A free school seven years ago. We had our first graduating class in 2019. And we are now advancing to having an undergraduate, a graduate program. They go through a three-year program, three times a year, two weeks at a time. And they get all the regular classes. You'll probably see that in the video. But uh, they are teaching for the first time expository preaching. Didn't know what to do, how to do it but it's transforming their communities. The mayor came to our graduation in 2019, and he said, I want to speak at your graduation. He says, I don't know what you're doing here, but this Bible school is making a difference in our community. And I go, man, I was a pastor for 29 years. I never had the mayor do that to me. (laughs) So, but uh, let's watch this video right now. And this is uh, the director, I mean the administrator of Grace Pastoral Training School speaking. Work on that. Um, I want to thank you. When God does something, there is no human explanation for it. And I, was, uh, I had received a phone call a couple years ago from Loving One by One, which uh, oversees our ministry. They're the ones that invited us in. I called them up, and I told them, I said, about the situation I'd heard, and they'd say, we've been praying for somebody to come and start a school. So after COVID, they have a hospital, and then they have a Christian school, but it wiped out their finances. They were helping us feeding the pastors. So I got a phone call in the morning that he said, Randy, we can't afford to feed the pastors anymore. You're going to have to come up with the money, $500. I said, well, I don't have $500. But we had our prayer, our staff, her time, we prayed. And uh, I prayed, and that night I got a call from your missions committee. And they said, uh, Mark told us about your school. And uh, uh, we'd like to give you $500. Oh, thank you, Jesus. (laughs) God's fingerprints on it. You got it? It's worth I've been a pastor since
1: 1986. God called me when I was a young man uh, to serve my community and I'm also a coordinator of the Grace Pastoral Training School. I love Jesus. I got saved in 1983. I've worked with Jesus as my friend. Uh, I love preaching the gospel. I love um, discipling people. I am a church planter. But in Uganda here, we thank God for our friends, the uh, our brothers and the Americans on Love by One Ministries in Ilwunga. Uh They started for us a ministry of pastors and training. It has helped us so much. They found us when we are not in great unity, but now it has brought us together. You know, the pastors of Uganda, we are called. We have a call, but the problem is we are called but we are not trained. Uh, We only hear the word of God and then we go plant churches but we got this opportunity that now we have a training. We have the theology uh, which has been taught to us. We have got many lessons like teaching us about eschatology, They have taught us about church discipline. They have taught us about um, gifts of the Holy Spirit, discipleship. Uh, We are taught about uh, ministerial ethics and others. Others, they have been teaching us many things. So now we are well equipped with tools to take the gospel. We really love you. Thank you those one who are supporting us. Uh, who are giving us uh, the missionaries to come, who are supporting the missionaries who come to this area, who are giving us Bible, Bible uh, study Bibles, uh, who are giving us the material uh, to, to study from. Uh, thank you very much, to those who are supporting us.
0: was that that hard to understand his accent so what we our theme is that the most difficult person to deal with in the whole church is the pastor himself he said you get the pastor down you your sermon begins when you leave the pulpit that's our theme and we give him a study bible because there's no access to commentaries or or internet or anything and um So we want to equip them and help them to be effective pastors. So thank you again. Uh, Your pastor asked me to come and speak today regarding uh, your series on Genesis. And it reminds me of my professor in seminary, Dr. Walter Kaiser. Loved the Old Testament so much I took my OT classes from him. He told us, he said, we can preach From the New Testament, once in a while, if we ask for forgiveness. That's how much he loved the Old Testament. (laughs) So, let's pray. Father, thank you that your word is powerful. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. And do what only you can do today in our hearts. Help me to speak. Help us to receive and understand and assimilate it and use it in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So in chapters 42 to 45, I was thinking about the sermon title. And I said, here is a Joseph's example of forgiveness and redemption, right? Or if you've ever seen that uh, science fiction movie back in the 90s, uh, Independence Day, there's a guy going up to the spaceship and he says, hey, boys, remember me? I'm back. (laughs) Don't remember that? That's usually funny when I share that out of the churches. But anyway, (laughs) I can't imagine him being there in Egypt and Joseph's brothers come and they don't recognize their own brother. And after all that they did, now they have recipes for eating crow right now. So things go, the story speaks to all of us who have been wounded by those closest to us, Right? Spurgeon said that the, Charles Spurgeon, the great pastor said, it's often Satan uses the people closest to you to hurt you. So when our children, when our spouse, when our best friend hurts us, is deep. Like David said in the Psalms, he said, if it would have been my enemy, I could understand, but my own brother. It's like you open up your heart and it's like there's no protection." The sword goes right in, and it wounds deeply, right? We can all relate to that. If you're breathing on this planet, you've gone through something like that. And if it hasn't, be patient. It will happen. And from here, things go from bad to worse for these brothers, They're living with guilt. And, but Joseph allows this crisis to transform his life. If anyone could have been uh, had an excuse to be bitter, Joseph did. I was, I was betrayed by my own brothers. They tried to kill me. Then they traded me and sent me off, not knowing whether I could care less if I lived or died. And to live in, in just hatred toward them. But he knew the living God. In fact, Joseph is a type and shadow of Jesus Christ. Now, we look today, there's only two people in the Old Testament, Daniel and Joseph, that had that life. Boy, I tell you, there's no, there's no flies on them. You look at and they allowed Christ to work in us. Every time you come to a trial and someone wounds you, you are placed at a fork in the road. You're either going to get closer to Christ or you're going to get further away from him. My first conference I went to in the Evangelical Free Church, 1979, I went to the conference and I'm thinking, hmm, I was just starting out and I was going to find every gray-haired pastor that I could and just pick their brains and say, how did you do this? How did you make it? So I remember sitting down next to uh, 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 an old pastor, he was at the end, I was at the beginning, and it was the ministerial association. And there's two sections. First section, anybody can come. Second session, only ministerial members, only. And so the first session was over. I tried to introduce myself, and I'm saying, Randy. And he goes, oh, and he says his name, and that's it. And I go, okay. And anyway, we get to the second closed section, and he says, "Now all non-members must leave." And he looks at me and he says, "Are you a member of the ministerial se- uh, the, min- the ministerial uh, association?" And I felt like saying, "No, I'm a spy from the Baptist." <laughs> I go, "What is this guy's problem?" And then I met a, a pastor I knew from Lacrosse, Wisconsin had pastored a church that I kind of half grew up in. A lot of my relatives went to, and we used to go up there a couple times a year, attend that church. And I tell you, when this man, when he preached, he had these really thick glasses, but they couldn't keep out the joy of Jesus. that just shined from his eyes. He just loved Jesus so much. And his name was Carol Anderson, Pastor Carol. And... My wife and I sat down and said, Carol, can we go out to eat with you tonight and just get a, cup, a piece of pie or something? And he said, I'd love to. And we talked with him until one in the morning and it felt like two seconds. Now, these two men, these two older men of the same age, gone through the same experiences and the trials of ministry. What was the difference? You ever heard the story of clay and wax when exposed to the sun? Wax becomes moldable. And it does whatever the master in heaven wants to do with that person's life. Clay becomes harder as it's exposed to the sun. It becomes like nothing, nothing affects it anymore. And it's your choice whether you're going to be clay or wax. So I always set that before me. That was a a, a great example throughout my life. Am I going to allow these trials of the people that hurt you to define your life? Or are you going to let Jesus work through those trials and knowing that all things work to good for those who are called according to his purpose? Amen? He works everything for the good. For the non-Christian, everything is working against him. But for us, it's working for us. That God has seen it beforehand and He's going to use it in our life. And you see here a generational curse. You start from Abraham. Abraham lies to Pharaoh about his wife. He shows favoritism. And it's the we have the whole problem with the Arabs today: lying and favoritism. Isaac, same problem. Lying, favoritism. What happens to Jacob? Lying and favoritism. He lies about, uh, you know, with the whole thing of trying to get his wife and he winds up having his father-in-law lying to him and he's, he's just paying the consequences of his own sin. And then you see the results of what happens when he showed that favoritism towards Joseph. The other brothers hated him. He's just... He And he's, he gets this dream. And it's like, this dream? He's just an honest kid. He's saying, I dreamt that you guys are going to be bound down to me. And that, that did it. That was the straw that broke the camel's back. This kid's done. We are done with this kid. Wearing his fancy coat. Maybe thought he was strutting around with his coat. What do you think of the threads, man? But he just... Uh, And I don't think he did. I think he was just this precious young man. And they just said, but the favoritism affected him. But here's where it's interesting. This, Joseph, is when the generational curse stopped. He said, no more. You know, in Exodus, it talks about the sins will affect the third and fourth generation. People will say, well, I came from this kind of home and I can't help it. And this is the way my parents were. You have to understand, everything in your life is a choice. You can either choose that or you can choose what God has for you and you have the power of the Holy Spirit to help you to do that. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. If that wasn't true, Christianity would have died 2,000 years ago. And Joseph found that transforming power even back then. And you see in verse 40, chapter 42, guess who's, remember the movie, guess who's coming to dinner? Surprise! Here's his brothers coming back. And they, I I don't have enough time to go through all the passages. But look at verse 12 in chapter 42. His brother come to us, to Joseph, and he said to them, No, it is the nakedness of the land that you have come to see. No, that's not the one I want. Well, in oh, verse thirteen, and they said, "We are your servants. Our, we are your servants, our twelve brothers, and the sons of one man, and the sons of one man in the, in the land of Canaan. And behold, the youngest is this day with our father, and one is no more." Did you catch that? One is no more. This is years and years later I've heard the saying that there is no expiration date on sin. sin has no expiration date. Now when we come to Christ somebody said, well how many time how many people do we need to go back and apologize and I'm thinking if I had to do that all I, I would probably spend the rest of my life trying to get all those but you have to sometimes just say, God, whatever you bring into my life, whatever situation, I want to deal with that. So I had uh, uh, my wife's high school reunion, and it was down in Bettendorf. And so I go there and find out that my neighbor was in her class. And so we get together, we talk, and he says, I'll have to come up and visit you in, in La Crosse sometime. And and, and he did. He came up and visited us. And I was just petrified. You know why? Because when he was a kid, I shot him with a BB gun. <laughs> and I was feeling horrible about it. Oh, I was such a jerk to that kid. Never forgot about it. And, and he comes in, and he's happy. And, and I said, Dave, I, I, I just want to get things clear. I just want to apologize by that time, I'm really sorry. When I shot you with a BB gun, he goes, "I don't remember you shooting me with a BB gun." <laughs> he laughed, but I, man, I tell you what, I felt I felt this burden just coming off me. It was like, ah, oh, isn't it wonderful when we when there's a cleansing in our heart? Can't do it all, but what God brings into our life, and <clears throat> so. But what he does, he's really testing his brothers through these three chapters. He puts money in their sacks. He says, Okay, I'll give you money. I'll give you food. Take it back to your home. And he puts the money that they paid for in the sacks as a ruse. And they find out and they go, Oh, no, oh, no. They see the money in the sacks. We're in trouble. Of course, Joseph says, You're spies. And he's trying to get them, these guys to really struggle and just like, I want to know what Joseph was doing in essence. How, what are you guys like now? Are you still those jerks that you were back then? Or have you changed? Murdering? Selling off? Kidnapping your own brother? Selling him off as a slave? Or are you different right now? And those guys felt that heavy burden of guilt. Billy Graham once said, if we could get rid of guilt, we could clear out half the, or well, maybe more than half, of the, the mental hospitals. But it's, it's, you think of the people who are in taverns, people who are on drugs, are trying to anesthetize that pain of guilt that they have in their life. And Jesus is the one who came to take away that guilt. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunge beneath that, bl- that blood, lose all their guilt and shame. I love that song, amen? It's like, wow. So, what happens is that they said in, in verse 22 this is interesting. Look at this. Did these guys really change? And uh, you have to go back in verse 21. They said to one another, In truth, we are guilty concerning our brother, and that, we, and that we saw the distress of his soul, and he begged us and did not listen. Going right back to that, it's still tattooed in their memory. And Reuben answered them, Did I not tell you not to sin against this boy? But you did not listen. So now here comes a reckoning for his blood. But they did not know that Joseph understood it. See, Joseph is kind of like, you know, you remember how the Egyptians are always like this? Now they're painted. I don't think jo- uh, Joseph was walking like that, but he had, he had the makeup on, probably shaved head, and didn't recognize him. He's older now, but he understood Hebrew. Every word they were saying. And then uh, it says, and he turned away from them and wept and returned to them and spoke to them and took Simeon from them and bound him before their eyes. He said, all right, you guys, Simeon's going to stay here. You can go back, but if you coming again, you know, he's staying here as kind of like a, a security. So you can imagine what's going on with Jacob goes back he has to go back and uh you know it's interesting old testament always talked about going to egypt was was like going to the world instead of going to god and you remember that in the old testament he was rebuked during the major minor prophets they would they would get in trouble they would go to egypt maybe egypt will help us and that's our nature sometimes want to go everywhere else but to god And they had gone to to Egypt for help. And then the test shows up, transformation of their brothers in chapter 43. And Israel said in verse 6, Why do you treat me so badly as to tell the man that you had another brother? They replied, The man questioned us carefully about ourselves and our kindred, saying, Is your father still alive? Do you have another brother? So they're talking to Jacob. He's feeling this guilt. And then um, later on, I didn't write this verse down. It said that they admitted that uh, there was a transformation in, in their brothers, but they still did not admit that they did this to Joseph, that they had sinned against him. And so this happens sometimes when, we, when somebody is trying to ask for forgiveness. You're probably not going to hear everything you're going to want to hear. I've had people who come up and, they, and it's their way of asking forgiveness. And you've got to see their heart. And you go, well, they're not saying everything I want them to say. You see, Joseph, type and shadow of Jesus, he showed mercy. And um, in chapter 44, there's a plot to frame Benjamin and uh, to get Benjamin, and Jacob is like, oh, no, not my son. And he doesn't trust his sons because he knows, he knows the truth that when his sons came back and said that, Joseph was killed by wild animals. He's going, no, I'm not buying it. He didn't buy it. Because there was blood on his own hands. There was sin on his own hands. You see, parents sometimes when uh, they will do something wrong in their own life, and then they see their kids doing it, and they remain silent. And they go, oh, my kids are going to point their finger at me. It's they well, you did it when you were young. Don't ever go there and say, you know, that was the old me. There was a guy who came to a church one time, and the pastor was preaching. He stood right up during the sermon. He said, do you remember me? He said, you and I used to hang around, and I'm going to get up and tell this church I've written down everything you did back then. And the pastor said, no need. You give me the list, and I'll read it. And he read the list. And he said, this is the man I was. But now this is the man that God has changed me to be. (laughs) The man walked out. That's, That's what God has done for us. And don't allow Satan to use those things in your past to keep you silent. Look at the sexual boundaries that have collapsed. And you may have been sexually active, but now it's time to say... What we did was wrong, but we have to deal with this now, and we realize the consequences of that. But you know, in chapter 45, you see this revelation. Joseph can't take it anymore, and he reveals himself to his brothers. And, you know, in the flesh, you'd think he'd just want to rub their faces in the ground and keep them suffering, but he just couldn't stand it. And he shows this forgiveness and reconciliation and then he says this in chapter forty-five. He said, "God sent me to save your lives." He says don't don't use don't sit there and punish yourself anymore. God used this so that I could rescue you. What they did, they meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Scripture says. And so you have Jacob. We always call him the strong-willed child of all the of all the. Uh, Patriarchal fathers. He was the one that wrestled with the angel. And when it came to going to Israel, he invited his father to come and give them land. Jacob had no resistance. He didn't, that strong wilderness was gone. He finally, God had broken that man. And the point is the whole thing here is Joseph showing that kind of mercy toward his brothers is the same kind of love that God shows toward us. It says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we we were yet sinners. How how hard is it to to show love to somebody who's wounded you? When I was at Bible school my senior year, I had some guys that really gave me a raw deal on something. I I mean, I was trying to be nice to them and they just totally ripped me off go into the detail of it, but I asked a friend of mine, and he was big at that time, what would Jesus do? And so I told my friend I, I, I poured my heart out and I said, man, I said I, you know, these guys did this to me and I want to get back, I don't know what to do and it says and, and, and then it says, what would Jesus do? And my friend says, you know, if I were Jesus I'd turn your friends into toads. <laughs> 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 That's how we feel, isn't it? We want revenge. We want to hurt back. So here is that if we confess our sins, if we confess our sins. First John's telling us that we are going to hurt our Father. And so I'm thinking, what do we learn about all of this? There's the what we call the boundaries of forgiveness. And somebody says, you know, I can not I can forgive, but I can't forget. Well, of course you're not going to forget. It says God removes our sins as far as the east is from the west, and he remembers them the more. It means he chooses to not hold it against us anymore. You, you're going to feel, you're going to remember that wound. But it will, you ask God, and he will continue to heal. Now, if somebody abused my child, Or somebody is abusing their spouse and not repenting. And there's boundaries that we set up to protect those people. And you can't be around them. You forgive them, but you can't be around them anymore. They're not changing. So one of the questions is, how do I show forgiveness? When inside I want to tell them off. You ever ever sit down and write a letter to somebody you're really mad at? You ever do that? I wrote a letter one time, I'm writing down, you know. And, and I told my friend, and he said, okay, Randy, tell me, how do you think that friend of yours or this person you're writing that letter, how do you think they're gonna respond to that? You think they're gonna read that letter and go, Oh, thank you. I am going to change now. <laughs> no. It's like they're defensive. They're going, that's not me. And when you're defensive, you're not listening anymore. You've got to get that, you've got to get that down. We, we often call it throwing up on paper. Write it down and then throw it away. It might make you feel better. But I used to get those letters in the mail when I was a pastor. We called them mail bombs. <laughs> and people would just write when they were angry. And uh, I used to... I used to hold on to those letters, and finally I just said, nope, I threw them all away, burned them up. I go, Christ forgot my sins. He remembers them no more. So the thing is, how do I forgive? Like I said, Joseph came to a fork in the road, and he chose God. And here's something to help me, because I went through a horrible experience in 2007. I lost my church. And there was a disagreement. I was trying to point out some serious sins in the board, and it blew up in my face. We had a, we had a mediation council come in, and they says, Randy, you, uh, you didn't do anything wrong, but it's such a mess right now, it's best that you leave. 21 years. I love that church. I loved it. And I was so angry. It's like, and I knew if I let this torture me, if I don't let go of this, it's going to ruin me. And so I read something this by, um, by Oswald Chambers. And it says, and if you probably won't remember most of my sermon, but please remember this. He said in his utmost for his highest, he said, no one has offended me to the point that I have offended Christ. No one has offended me to the point that I have offended Christ. That was my daily medication. Because you know how many times we offend God, sins of commission and sins of omission, some that we deliberately do and we we, we know that's wrong and we cross the line. And sins that we're doing, we're not even aware of. I, I try to get this right, but if if we, if someone, if our friends treated us the way we treat God, would those people still be our friends? Did you catch that? If our friends treated us the way we treat God sometimes, would, that, would we still be our friends? Sometimes you've done the same thing over and over and over again. They call it besetting sins. And you just uh, you go, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Lord. What does he do? He forgives us. And Jesus said, how many times do I forgive? He gave that. But I, I don't know how God puts up with me I began to think about that how many times I injure him and you know you've seen people that have been wounded in divorce or hurt by somebody and they just close themselves off and I'm not going to be friends anymore I'm not going to get married one guy said the more I know people the more I like my dog (laughs) (laughs) I'm not going to meet and they just close themselves off because they don't want to get hurt anymore what do you think God feels He loves us, and we know that sin grieves him. It says the Holy Spirit, we grieve him. We've asked God into our hearts. The presence of the Holy Spirit is now to transform us and that the life of Christ be presented through us. But when we sin, we grieve Jesus, and he takes it. It wounds him, and we have to confess our sins to the Lord, and we do that time after time and day after day and hour after hour things we're thinking of, and we just play with thoughts that we shouldn't. And then someone comes up and wounds us, says something, does something really dumb. It will give you a different perspective. It will begin to allow you to show grace and mercy to people. Let's learn. From the example of Joseph. Close with a story I've got from a youth pastor from Cedar Rapids, Iowa, when I was in Moline, Illinois, pastoring a church. And he was with the youth group, uh, youth group, youth pastor, and he was a great voice. He'd go around singing. Sang just amazing Sunday evening service of me talking about a retreat they had at this lady's house. And There was a large place where everyone was, and he decided to go into this small den, and there was a fireplace, and the fire was going. He sat up behind it, cuddled up beside it, and the fire was dying out, and he looked around and he saw this this log that was sitting by the fireplace, and he threw that log in. And it was unusual because the log burned and burned and burned and burned, and the lady of the house walked in and says, hi, Brian, how you doing? She said, great. She looked around and she goes, you see my teakwood log I brought back from Israel? (laughs) What have I done? I'm so sorry. I threw it in the fire. And here was, our, here was her response. She says, isn't it so wonderful that the love that we have because of Jesus Christ, that we would never allow a silly log to come between us. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for the example of Joseph, for the grace and mercy he showed toward his brothers. And thank you for this church. Thank you for their gracious giving to Grace Pastoral Training School, for the investments that they are making in the the pastors and the exponential impact that it's making on Uganda right now. These pastors are finally getting trained in the word. So I ask for your blessing upon them because of that. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.